Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, I know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston Show. We are your friends. The biggest stories bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? The Chris Johnston Show. What is going on? Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie. So, CJ, I woke up this morning, minus nine, snow outside, and you are in a hotel room where it's 26 degrees, and I've never been more envious of you. Yeah, I feel like a jerk right now. Like I can't text. You shouldn't anyone feel at like home. a jerk at all. I can't text anyone at home. Tell my dad, "Hey, I just ran in shorts," and he's like shoveling out his driveway. Um, <laughs> and it's actually quite a contrast because when I was in Montreal with you on Monday, before I saw you, I went for a run up the mountain, and it was an ice patch. So it's it's been a week of extremes. Oh yeah, it, again, just really putting it in i have to still live in this miserable weather condition that we have here called winter but anyway uh we can't make this a weather podcast i've left those weather days behind uh you are in florida for a reason not just for vacation you are in florida because of a board of governors meeting that happens every year where all the media and all the general managers and all that get to basically just parade around in shorts and actually maybe not parade around in shorts but they get to discuss very important NHL issues. I was just wondering, though, just to start off, just because, like, I, I know it's a thing and maybe some hardcore hockey people, they know about what's going on and they follow you for what's being discussed. But for more casual people, like, what's the purpose of a board, a board of governors meeting? Like, what, what goes down at those meetings for real? Well, here's the hard part if you're in my job. You don't always okay. know what goes down because it happens behind the scenes. Right. And so a version of events is told to the media, of course. Gary Bettman typically speaks to the media at least once during this, sometimes twice, you know, depending on the year or what the issues are. Um, you know, various league owners will, will take questions from reporters, but you don't always feel like you, you know exactly what happened because this is the, the truth. The league is owned by the 32 teams, essentially. Um, the board of governors is each team gets to appoint a certain number of governors to the board that runs the NHL. And these are the people that are even above Gary Bettman in terms of the power structure of the league. I mean, he's the, the most important individual that runs the league, but collectively this board has the power to remove him from his job, for example, or grant him a pay raise or any of those things. And so when they meet at a meeting like this in December, they're, they're talking about whatever the issues of the day are. You know, of course, there'll be a lot of financial talk. You know, a, a huge number of teams are still digging themselves out from the pandemic. They'll be addressing things like what they want to do with Olympic participation and getting an update on where that's at. You know, talking about the Arizona Coyote situation, which is is come into the news here since we've arrived in Florida. You know, all manner of issues can come up here, and and you know, some of them are put on a formal agenda. Some of them can be just raised in in the room, and so it it is important because 
you know, I remember being at one of these a few years ago and out of the blue, Gary Bettman calls us into a room and says, we're expanding to Vegas and this is how it's going to happen. <laughs> like he just said it. It just, it was that. Oh, wow. You know, it, it was like, we're going to launch a ticket campaign. They have to sell this many tickets. As long as that happens, everything's above board. We're going to have a team in Vegas. So, you know, I'm not promising that level of news, of course, but you, you have to come because there could be a surprise because these literally are the most powerful people in the league that, that, that can make a big decision here. And if that happens, obviously there's news value for us reporters. So as of right now, like what, I mean, I, I think you just got, got into Florida, so I don't think you've done any like BOG stuff yet or am I wrong? No, it hasn't started yet. So we're taping this Thursday morning. The the first meeting's at two o'clock Thursday afternoon and then they meet again on Friday. So, you know, nothing's happened per se. I mean, I was here last night, you know, saw a bunch of people in the league and had some conversations and a glass of wine, um, you know, get a feeling for, for what's going on. But, you know, there's been no actions taken as, as we're recording this. Future episode of this show, both of us should be drinking wine. You mentioned wine, and I just thought, I think if we were both up on wine doing this show, that would be a very interesting one. That being said, I don't even know I'm if we're allowed to do it. that. I'm very into it, but I don't know about a 9 a.m. It can't be a 9 a.m. recording with the no, wine. No, 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 That's no, the no, only no, stipulation. No, no. It's got to be a night game for that one. No, no, no. That's that, that's pretty. I don't want to say. Yeah, that's that, okay. All right, we'll, we'll do that as a night thing. Um, you mentioned the Arizona Coyotes. Funny enough, as something that could be discussed. In fact, you know what? We might as well just jump into it because this is a pretty fresh story developing out here. Essentially, this team is behind on some taxes, on some tax bills, and if they're not able to pay up, they could be locked out of the Gila River Arena. I think they're they've been given a deadline of of December twentieth. Uh, the Coyotes put out a statement, uh, which I know Craig Morgan and, and The Athletic, they've also been able to kind of push that out. Uh, essentially, the Coyotes are saying that they're going to get on top of their stuff. Uh, I was wondering what insight you have on that, and, and I'm sure you're probably anticipating that will come up at these BOG meetings. Yeah, this is a symptom, not maybe the whole story, if you know what I'm saying. Like, there, there's, sure. there's a lot more going on here. And let's start with just the fundamental premise. You're a small city, relatively small city of Glendale, you know, half an hour or so from Phoenix. You have an arena that you built with your taxpayers' money. And you have a tenant in the Arizona Coyotes that if they're not there, you've got to fill those dates and somehow generate money to keep paying down this thing you've built. That's a, that's, that's a problem, right? Especially when things are up in the air. For the Arizona Coyotes, you have to play 41 home games a year as stipulated under the rules of the NHL. You need a place to play those games. Ideally, you need a nice place to play those games where you can sell tickets and create revenue and make money. And if you don't play in this arena in Glendale, you've got to find somewhere else to play. And there's not a overflowing number of options. There's certainly not currently a better option that exists anywhere in metropolitan Phoenix area. So you've got a problem too. And so you have these two sides that are locked in kind of a difficult marriage right now, where I think it's in both of their best interests to find a way to continue having a relationship because the Coyotes do you know, bring dates in, they bring money into the building for the, the city. And obviously the Coyotes themselves need somewhere to play while they're trying to sort out their own arena situation. I mean, they're, they're, they're working on a couple of things right now, but certainly they want to build a huge arena and entertainment complex uh, in Tempe, uh, which is closer to downtown Phoenix. And, you know, that that's, they, they've made a proposal on that, but it's kind of sitting with the, the Tempe city council and, you know, no decisions have been reached there. And so in the short term, they've got to figure out where they're playing, right? And so, you know, I don't know all the ins and outs of how they ended up, you know, 1.3 million, give or take, behind on their taxes. But I would suggest to you, 
it could be part of a larger negotiation. I mean, look, they've come out and said too that they've, you know, there's some human error involved. Someone made a mistake that, that led to them being behind on this. You know, Katie Strang's probably all over this. I, I don't have. I know she is all over this. I oh. added that statement to her uh, file this morning. <laughs> okay. That's yeah. good. And 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 because I'm, you know, I'm certainly not trying to mow her on it or or question her. But I think in the big picture, this is all part of those sides figuring out how they're going to exist or not together moving forward. And, you know, of course, I guess the, the great headline on the story the Athletic had is that if they didn't pay this by December 20th, well, what are they going to do about the game on December 23rd against the Lightning? I mean, this this, this is a clear and present danger if, if the situation isn't remedied. But, you know, I'm going to take the Coyotes at their word in this instance and, and assume they're going to pay – you know, get get all those bills squared away before the December 20th, 20th deadline. I still think that there's a bigger question here of, you know, how they coexist. You know, I think the most likely option or the, or the number one idea in the Coyotes' minds is they'd like to actually play next season at Gila River Arena as well, while they continue to work towards building another rink. But, you know, previously members of the city council there said that's not going to happen. And so this, it it's a very interesting story. I don't remember anything quite like it, actually, in, in recent memory of my time covering the league, in, in that it is so up in the air. You know, we're almost halfway through this season. We don't know where they're going to play next season, and there's a possibility they could be locked out of the arena this season. Um, I actually believe, despite how grave these headlines are, like, I actually believe them that they intend to, to try to stay in Arizona. Um, but, you know, whether or not they can navigate this successfully is, is what we have to wait and see. And, 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 you know, as much as people say, oh, it's just the Coyotes again, like, just move them already. Like, there, there's a pretty long track record here of them not being moved. Uh, yeah. Now, granted, there's been a track record of uh, instable ownership situations, questions about being moved, you know, things that I think have hurt their brand and have hurt their ability really to get the community to believe it's their team almost. Like, it's almost like you just, you're looking over your shoulder wondering when this is all going to go down. Um, but I still see through all this chaos a possibility that they get that project built in tempe you know I've, I've gotten a look at sort of what they have planned there and it's it's unreal but you know you can design your dream house you can't always build it and so let's see it let's see if they can get that done and and you know i actually hope for the fans there that they do i mean one of the best players in the nhl is austin matthews and he only plays hockey because the coyotes were there and he was taken to a game as a kid and he wanted to play you know, otherwise he becomes a baseball player or basketball player, which, you know, his dad and his grandfather were um, at reasonably high levels of sport. And so I, I actually, for all the Sunbelt bashing that went on over the years, you know, going back 20 years, say, I think it's actually proven to be a good strategy for the league. I like these markets and I'd like to see the Coyotes get a real chance in their own market with their, with the proper arena situation and see if they can, you know, really plant their flag there. And honestly, I think we're, going to get a Houston team one way or another. Um, I, I, everyone's connecting Arizona to Houston. I, I don't see why Houston. That's what just, I was going to do. I Well, it's, I think it's natural, but I, I don't see why they couldn't be an expansion team. Like, you know, everyone goes, oh, you know, what, they're going to have 36 teams. I was like, what's sacred about 32? What was sacred about 30? I, I think as long as there's a business case for it and, and you know, I'm not totally sure there is at the moment, but over time there might be. I mean, why not? You, you could you could get to a, a point in time where not every team plays every other NHL team. I mean, we're, we're at the, we're at the point where it's already difficult. You know, I think if you're adding more teams, you're almost getting to where it's impossible. And, and I think there's lots of different creative ways the league is going to move forward, but I, I don't necessarily think it has to be them taking the coyotes out of Arizona, but obviously they got to remedy this situation. 
Uh, I don't remember if I mentioned the actual uh, number uh, in terms of uh, dollar figures, in terms of what the uh, the team owes, in terms of unpaid state and city taxes. It's more than $1.3 million, which is a lot to people that. like you and me. Okay. I, I just wanted to make I sure I just for the whole, that's. I know, I know, I know. I just was trying to remember myself. But like for people like you and me, like $1.3 million is a lot of money. But for an organization like any organization, like $1.3 million, I mean, the Coyotes should be able to pay this, right? Like I, yes. I don't see any reason why they can't. Yes. I mean, look, Alex Morello owns a team, owns banks. He owned a big successful pizza chain. He's got all number of businesses. Even if he doesn't have that money sitting in a you know, a checking account. He's got access to lines of credit or whatever where that shouldn't be an issue. Okay, at least. So that being said, I, I still see a scenario where like the coyotes get moved to Houston or and you're right. I think I think one way or another there will be hockey in Houston within like the next how many years. But there will always be that faction of fans looking at the Arizona situation, just wondering why can't we bring a team to, to Quebec City? Like, why can't the Nordiques come back from this? I was wondering if we could just kind of explain why Houston probably looks more like a viable market. I mean, we both would like Quebec City to have a team back, I'm sure. But, like, I the money just makes more sense to go to a populace that is, like, what, like fourth highest in terms of U.S. population and definitely the highest uh, ranking population in terms of U.S. cities without a without an NHL team. Yeah, I mean, look, it, it's it is it's just dollars and cents. I mean, hockey for me comes from my heart too, and so I, it does. I actually I feel for the people in, in Quebec City because I know how much they love it. I you know I was at the World Hockey Championship there years ago in 2008. I understand. I haven't been in the new arena that that they built a few years ago, the Videotron Center, but I understand it's beautiful and would totally be worthy of of hosting NHL games, but. Um, you know, it's a it's a small population. It's a small corporate environment. And oh, excuse me. <laughs> That's how busy CJ is, people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, look, I, Houston is a massive city. They they have a facility where the Houston Rockets play. That there's you know it seems that they could have a team there. You have a potentially an in, interested ownership group, same group that owns the Rockets. You know, I just think it, it and look, it, it expands this Sunbelt thing. I mean, look, the, the league is trying to inch closer to Mexico. Like there's been a lot of I know we've mentioned this in the past, but there's a strategy there. And I, I just think, um, you know, I got to return a text. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. Oh man, uh, I'll say this: like, I, this is like the first time that's ever like happened, like in like twenty three odd episodes of the CJ show. I'm impressed. I thought this was going to happen like episode like three or four, so I'm pretty impressed that it's only got to that point. I anyway. try to give you my full attention, but I'm on uh, I'm on a work trip and there's a lot going on. But that's uh, very fair. You know the I, I just think Houston makes a ton of sense. I would I. It's not even at this point. It almost feels like a when, not an if. I, and I don't know how it's all going to look. It could be expansion. Um, you know, I guess the reason it it it's I don't think that it, it's the ownership group in Arizona's intention whatsoever to move the team or anything like that. But I think people make the connection because their situation is just uncertain. And then you have a little bit more certainty. It would seem in in the, having a team in Houston. But I don't know. The league has fought pretty hard for the Arizona market. I. I don't think they're just going to turn it in, even though right now it's it's not going so well. 
Yeah. Uh, we'll have to wait and see when it comes to the Arizona Coyotes. Maybe they very well will be, will be brought up at the BOG meetings, and maybe we'll have to talk about it on Monday if there's any other developments. The next thing I want to bring up is the assist heard round the world. Trevor Zegris pulling off some pretty like the half Michigan, you almost with a fake Michigan. Like, I don't know what you what we're gonna call it, but that beautiful uh tap pass from behind the back of the net to Sonny Milano where he bats it in. That is one of the cooler things I've seen this year. Uh, many people around the NHL community have shared it. Michael B. Jordan, the actor, is all like, I don't even watch hockey and I think this is cool. Like, I, it's it's awesome. This is such a cool move, and like so many people are talking about it. Like I, I think it's one of the, I, it might end up being the highlight of the year, as far as I'm concerned. That might be the best NHL goal we've ever seen. Like it's that's a least, really interesting take. You know, I, I haven't done. There's a, we had 103 years or whatever of NHL goals potentially to consider. So I and I haven't gone through what, but I'm not sure there's ever been a better assist ever. Like how could there be? That was like magic, man. Like, this is in a real game. Like, these guys, okay, they pull that off at a morning skate under no pressure with no defenders. You go, oh, that's cool. This is in a real game. And, like, all the like, – there's, like, five Buffalo players. Like, you could just uh-huh. see them, like, realizing in slow motion, like, what's going on. I, I was unreal. And for it to be Trevor Zegers, who's, you know, got all kinds of personality, you know, was a world junior star, of course. I, I think it's it's – I think it's great, you know, that that happened and and yeah it was like inception or something it was crazy i you know it's like something you see pavel barber do on his instagram account again except he's not doing it in an nhl game with the speed that that entails and nhl players coming to hit you and hurt you and all that's like that was wild and i wonder what's next like we've seen a few lacrosse style goals michigan goals you know Svechnikov and the like um these these guys got skill though like it's it's cool to see the game evolve in small ways like that and i do think it it makes it more appealing and i think it makes it more fun and you know imagine 20 years ago he had done this like what it would have been like on coach's corner or something like oh my god it would have been like all i mean obviously it would have been all over i mean the goal i could think of that happened almost 20 years ago that had us all talking was the alexander ovechkin goal against the against the phoenix coyotes back then in 04 or 05 one of those first few years of his career and we were talking about that everywhere in in terms of hockey circles i still think it's the best goal of the century here so right but, but i think old school back then like some of that was criticized a bit like or when ov memory scored his 50th and he pretended his stick was on fire and hot stick yeah, the hot stick and like people were actually criticizing him for that, uh, like showing people up or something. Oh, yeah. Um, anyway, I'm just glad we're at a point where I haven't seen any of that. Like the worst thing that happened out of this is the whole thing. I have a childhood friend and he texted me and he goes, how come no one's talking about it? I think that that was a high stick. And I was like, <laughs> I literally said to him, I was like, why don't you just go open your door and yell, get off my lawn? Like, like that's your <laughs> this? Like, come on, old man. <laughs> I want to tell everyone, I want to let everybody know, though, when I was like a kid, I've seen like you're talking about the fact that obviously that play happens in an NHL game. And that is like all the pressure in the world. Like I've seen that done in like ball hockey. I've been on the other end where you're like trying to like bat it in. And I'm not even that good at like playing hockey period, but I've been on the other side of that. And it's cool to do. So to see it in a real like NHL game, like. Like, Seagrass could have easily been hit behind the boards. 
or I think like Rasmus Asplund was like right by Sonny Milano. He could have easily checked him or kind of pushed him out the way. Like there's so many factors to this. But look at the delivery of it. It was like so soft. Like, like even when he flips it onto a stick blade, like it could have, of course, just oh, yeah. ended up there. And it just like tosses it perfectly. Like anyway, it was ridiculous. And who knows? And his I, face, I, his face after the fact too. Like he's so shook. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> It's yeah, funny, I, I thought David Amber, my former teammate at Sportsnet, he tweeted, Trevor Zegers just had, like, the greatest goal ever or something, or set up the greatest goal ever. And I was like, David, a little hyperbole. Like, it was before I'd seen it, right? And then I saw it, and I was like, oh, David Amber, you're right. No, but, like, I was having a conversation with uh, my good buddy Solid Valji, and he's trying to say, like, yo, is this the goal that changes the game for the NHL? And I'm like, like, I got to think about that. Like, I, I don't know if it does, but, like, if – I'll say this. It could change the game if, uh, if any other sick goal like that going forward, we're not criticizing it or think, you know, thinking, oh, well, this guy's showing a guy up. So and that's, what, and that's, that's my point. That's my ultimate point. You bring up a really good point earlier with some of the stuff Ovechkin did years earlier, which if it was brought up by some of the older, more curmudgeonly folks of the NHL, they'd be like, oh, he's showing it up. No one's done any of that with Trevor Zegers. I think so many people just... I've seen that moment and they're like, you know what? Like the league needs stuff like this. And if we see more stuff like this, the culture around the way that we talk about it is going to just continually change, right? Like maybe this could be a game changing play to happen. Like this is something that just kind of popped into my head, but like it could be that. It might not change it today. Right. But now you have 10 year olds in ranks all over the world or on wherever they're practicing, thinking about it in their basements. Like I think it's, it's sort of like the cumulative effect of, you know, they're going to be kids that can just do this even easier than Trevor Zegers did because they're going to grow up doing it. Like, I'm guessing Trevor Zegers wasn't practicing that when he was 10 because no one was doing that in a game. Like, he's developed that skill, whatever, maybe, you know, just having fun. You know, someone's telling me a story this week that they're saying about Nikita Kucherov that literally every intermission, he, like, handles a ball. Like, he literally yeah. still stick handles every single intermission. Even right now, he's out injured. And apparently, he's, like, watching the games and it's still stick hand with a ball. And it's because he he holds himself like there's something about that practice with like elite athletes. Right. And so I just think that there's going to be the next wave of elite athletes will be doing things like this. And I, I don't mean exclusive to this exact exist, but you're unlocking the possibilities of what the game can be. And you're and you're putting it in the hands of the next generation. You know, like the next generation will be more skilled than this one because we've already we've seen that again and again and again over time. Um, so, yeah. It, it'll be hard to prove that this was the one goal, I think, unless we see a wave of goals like this and it's like something that's getting copycatted, but I, I don't think that will probably be the case. And it's cool. You know, I wonder how the coaches feel about it. They're probably the only ones who don't like that stuff because the, the odds of it going terribly wrong are pretty high. I mean, the, the degree of difficulty on that, I think, is like outrageous. Like It looks easy if you're not really thinking about it because he was so smooth. There was a lot of things where that could and screwed up there and anyway absolutely absolutely a great moment uh i would love to read in your upcoming inside the nhl column uh which you can read on the toronto star if you happen to get any response from coaches on that goal i think that could be a really cool topic so free idea for you cj great i'll ask i'll ask uh, i'll ask his coach dallas aiken start there 
that's a good idea. Um, one other story that seemed to have uh, popped up in the last little while uh, with regards to Yuhar Kaira uh, and the hit he took from Jacob Truba. Uh, we go from a moment in the NHL, which I think was really cool, to one of the more scarier moments. Uh, him just taking a hit from Truba and just lying motionless on the ice. And just seeing that for me, obviously... Felt very shook, felt very scared to see my colleague at the Athletics, Scott Powers, wrote about it in the Athletic and and how he was feeling about it in the moment. Uh, I just thought to me, and I know Alan Walsh, our, our SDPN colleague, has kind of voiced this too. Like now's a better time than ever for the league to just have no tolerance for any contact to the head, whether it's primary point, secondary point, follow through, whatever. I really think we need to start having that conversation about just no contact to the head whatsoever when it comes to these hits. Because seeing stuff like that is just so scary. That conversation has started, at least. I mean, it's it's been had. Obviously, we haven't got to a point where anyone wants to enact a rule. I think everyone, they're, they're definitely worried about the trickle-down effects of that. Because, of course, there are lots of very innocent plays where the head gets made contact. But... You know, I, I don't know that there's there's a medical argument for it, certainly, um, that it's it's the right thing to do, the right way to approach it. Uh, I, I don't know where where we're at there. I mean, I think you have to eliminate fighting, too, if you're doing that. I mean, how can you mm-hmm. – and, and fighting is way down. Like, there, there's – compared, you know, it, it's consistently gone towards zero, but it's not at zero. And so it's hard to conceive of a world where you're able to punch someone in the head while saying you can't check someone in the head. And I, I do actually believe over time we'll get there. Um, you know, basically, what did I say? The things that get in the way of the progress is like a heartbeat, right? <laughs> like not to be crude about it, but people that have ran the game are going to age out of the game. And, and and then, you know, the next wave, you know, things change. I mean, that's, that's how every business or every industry works. Um, you know, I, I don't think that this hit in particular is as awful as it was. I'm certainly not minimizing that. I mean, Kyra, to me, looked like he was out before he even hit the ice. And yeah. obviously, someone who's, who's been through, you know, concussion-type injuries in the past. And so you, you just hope for his his long-term safety and short-term safety that, that he recovers okay. But I do think we're moving in that direction. It's just probably a little slow for, for some people. And – but, I mean, how do we not go there? Like, the, the number of really dangerous hits has gone down, too. I mean, that Rule 48 initially going back, you know, 10 years or so – definitely made a difference but you know we'll probably get to a place where there's not that much hitting in the game as much as that's going to be sacrosanct to say um because i i don't know how else you have the sport be done safely because you know i don't think it's a it's a lack of technology you know the helmets are pretty good um at some point it's just human force and 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 how fast it is you know you have to you have to do what you can to protect the the guys at play yeah, that's true. It might be an adjustment period for not just the players, but for all of us watching. That being said, I still think that stuff like what Truba did uh, should still be seen as like a suspendable offense. Funny enough, the very next night, he plays against a Colorado Avalanche and he makes a big hit on, on Nathan McKinnon and then ends up in a fight with Gabriel Landeskog. Like it's it's a bit of a weird situation for Truba. But I, I just I mean, it was just really scary for me to see for for Kyra. I hope he's OK. I, I think I, he was able to regain consciousness after the fact. But yeah, he's discharged uh, from the hospital. I mean, not to but yeah. he, you know, that's that's the good news. But, you know, whenever you're in the arena for one of those moments like the one that stands out for me is the John Tavares incident in the playoffs last year 
Mm-hmm. Like it's funny because you go to just caring about this game, right? We all love this game. You're, you're, you're in that case, you're pumped up as game one of the playoffs, and you're so excited to watch the matchup and everything. And all of a sudden, you're just like, oh, this is everything feels pointless when you see something like that when it comes to someone. And and you know that I think we just have to acknowledge it's it's still a dangerous sport. Um, it's, it's part of part of in a sense what I think makes it so breathtaking is is that these guys are playing on the edge, literally of. In, in every way, but um, I, I just, over time I'm with you. I think we'll probably get to no head contact. I just I don't think we're there today. Yeah. Um, two other quick things I kind of just want to jot down before we get to stick taps here. Uh, just really quick items. We don't have to spend that too much long on them unless you want to. Of course, it is your show. Uh, you're us talking about head contact and, and physical contact has me thinking about Jason Spezza uh, being suspended six games off of what happened earlier in the weekend with the Leafs and the Jets. Uh, I believe he's trying to they're looking to appeal that. I don't know if you have any other insight on what's going on with the Leafs there. Yeah, they've launched a former a formal appeal. Uh, initially, goes to Gary Bettman to gather additional facts and and either uphold the ruling or not. And then he he has the option to go to a neutral arbitrator. Beyond that, of course, six games goes pretty quickly. So you know, sometimes he might still have to miss the six games. I mean, there was an incident with Tom Wilson a few years ago, and I can't remember the numbers, but his his suspension ultimately got reduced, but he missed a couple extra games because of the time that took for that process to play out. You know, this is a tough one. Jason Spetz has literally played 1,203 games in the NHL, never been fined, never been suspended. As far as I know, never even been on the radar. And so he's a smart guy. He's been around the league a long time. He understands that there, there – let's face it. I don't think that there's a, a way for the Department of Player Safety ever to make everyone happy. Like, no matter who runs that, even if they start giving out huge suspensions, which some people seem to want, they'll still – it's still going to appear not to be – totally equitable because no two plays are exactly the same or very, it's very rare, right? You're making judgment calls, but I think it's, it's fair to say broadly that there's concern about not a lot of consistency in how these calls are made. Right. And and, and what these suspensions are. And so he's looking at his own career and saying, I literally have never crossed the line, essentially 19 years. And then you're hitting me with a six game suspension when, you know, you've got, you know, Wilson himself, like pile driving guys into the ice after being suspended, like that, that go, you know, I, I think that that's, this is more about making that point than actually trying to reduce the suspension. Cause it, there's no way around it. Like the hit that Jason threw was, was extremely dangerous, was clearly premeditated after what had happened with Neil Pionk uh, injuring Rasmus Sandin just prior to it. Um, he was, you know, Spezza was seeing red and he ends up throwing a check uh, where he needs a guy in the head, you know, I, I just, I don't think yeah. I'm not defending at all his action. I think it, this is more about proving a larger point. You know, the Leafs are also sensitive too. They played a game the night before the Winnipeg game in Minnesota uh, where Marcus Foligno smoked Jack Campbell, you know, then the night that same game in Winnipeg with potentially knee towards the head area, you know, Joseph Wall, their, their other backup goaltender took a knee. You know, I think that it, it's really just about making a point that this, this is, it's hard to it's hard to, to look at all the totality of all the decisions and find a straight line in it. And so that's I think that's really what it's about. I expect he'll probably miss those six games and uh, you know move on from there. 
So the other the other thing I wanted to mention uh, is another topic we went in, we went in on earlier this week uh, when we did our show in person. Bruce Boudreaux, who was actually off to a winning start in Vancouver to the point. Well, this happened, I think, his first game. Uh, but fans were chanting, Bruce, there it is at Rogers Arena. What do you think about the uh, the renaissance and the the love affair that has already started with Bruce Boudreaux in, uh, in Vancouver? Well, I mean, it just shows you how badly the change was wanted among the fan base. You know, not to diminish it, Bruce's contribution here, but I think people just want to see anything happen. Um, you know, Bruce's tends to give his players some freedom. And, and we see this all the time where teams are struggling at the end with one coach, and I think everyone sees it firing coming and all that, and then it's, it's a, shot, a shot in the arm to come out. So, you know, I think it's... It's interesting, you know, what we've learned since we recorded Monday is that the, the contract he signed actually is an option for next year. So oh. essentially, as I understand it, he's only guaranteed this season behind the bench. Um, you know, which is kind of an interesting fact because, you know, I, I think as well as this team, as much as it might rebound, it's hard to see them getting back in the playoff race with just the hole they dug. Um, but obviously he's coaching as well to try to get that option kicked in and at least get next year with the group too. And so, you know, good, good for the, the Canucks fans to have some fun with it. Cause I know that market is, you know, we talked about it the last pod, but like they, they've taken a bit of a beating and it's, it's been a, a difficult time and we'll, we'll see where they go. You know, two and zero under Bruce, uh, they still got a big mountain to climb, but you never know. Yep, we'll, uh, we'll have to wait and see when it comes to Bruce Boudreaux and the Vancouver Canucks. So we've gone through them. We've gone through the Board of Governors stuff, Trevor Zegris, Jacob Truba, the Coyotes. Now it's time for the segment we do every Thursday, uh, Stick Taps. We just love to give some love to people. I have two Stick Taps, CJ. All right. Uh, I don't know if uh, they end up supplanting one of yours, but the two that I have, I think, are pretty cool. Uh, I will give a stick tap to my buddy Tic Tac Tomar. Uh, that's right. You know Tic Tac Tomar, too. I think you've met him. Uh, just briefly. I don't know him that well personally, but certainly follow him online and aware of him. And we've met a little bit in person. Well, you may or may not have seen him in the press box for a Leafs game earlier this week. For the very first time, my good buddy Tic Tac Tomar, uh, who sometimes uh, writes for The Athletic, provides some of those Maple Leafs report cards and also uh, is on my show uh, Zone Time with Yahoo Sports. Uh, he got to go to his first game as a media member. And uh, I just wanted to show him some love. Just be like, hey, man. Proud of you, dude. And the second stick tap uh, is going to go to my mom. It's her birthday today. Uh, you know, it's my mom. Uh, love her very dearly. Uh, gets to celebrate her birthday. She's a twin as well, so it's their birthday too, of course. Uh, and uh, I'm just going to take the time just to say, uh, Mom, I love you very much. And uh, I hope you get to enjoy your very special birthday. And uh, I'll give you a big hug uh, when I see you. Props to your mom. She's raised a great son. I'll give my, uh, since we're going personal nature stick taps today, I'll give mine to Neil Davidson, who uh, hey. just thought in my head. Neil was a sports editor at the Canadian Press. He was actually gave me my first job in the business, and he was the first sports editor that sent me to an NHL game. It was May 2002. I think that's right. It was a yeah. Leafs-Ottawa playoff series, uh, game five. Uh, I've talked about it actually with, with Daniel Alfredson before Daniel Alfredson hits Darcy Tucker from behind and scores the winning goal in that game with like five minutes left. Um, and it's something I'll never forget much like I'm sure to 
Tak Tomar won't forget his first time, like actually getting to be a working member of the media, walking into a building. It's it's hard to, it's so normal now. I hate to say that, but it's hard to explain how cool that feeling is. And so, good job, Omar, and uh, Tic Tac Tomar, and uh, <laughs> keep it going, brother. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I didn't even know Neil Davidson was the actual sports editor. When I was at CP, he was like the guy covering like soccer and like rugby and all the other like not random sports, but like sports of that nature. I didn't even know he was the head honcho at CP when I was there. Oh, you yeah. learned something he, new every day. For a long time. And, you know, he gave me my first job when I was 18. I just come to move to Toronto to go to Ryerson University. He gave me a part-time job doing junior hockey work. And he said afterwards that he's like, I wanted to hire you, but I was worried I was breaking child labor laws because of how young you look. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm seriously eternally grateful to him. I mean, I there's no way I have the career I would have if I didn't get all the opportunities I did at a really young age. And, you know, he he taught me a lot. I mean, I, I the one thing I worry about now for people in this industry, and I, we probably have some younger folks that listen to this, want to follow kind of in our footsteps, is it's hard to get those those jobs at the beginning where people really have time to like teach you and correct your mistakes and you write a story and they say, look, you, you did this and this. Like, I, I, it's almost like there's not a feeder system now anymore. And so a lot of people get yeah. thrown in the deep end. And so I, I think that's tough because for me, the Canadian press in the early years was, I mean, really just showed me how to do the job. I worked with so many professionals we're actually going to do a pod, I think with, and this at some point, I know Adam Wild wants it, but Pierre Lebron was really one of my first, real mentors and, and Pierre and I worked together at CP and, and so maybe we'll do a pod talking about our, our early days together and, you know, kind of cool how everything comes full circle and we're TSN teammates uh, in the end. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm, as I'm getting to this stage in my career, I'm just, I'm grateful for everyone who put a little pebble in my development and Neil Davidson put a friggin' boulder there because uh, he gave me so many chances and was patient with me and, and I appreciate it. Oh man, so I, I love the shout out for Neil, and I love the uh, the Pierre LeBrun idea. If we were able to find a way to make that work, uh, uh, obviously a colleague of both of ours, because he also works at the Athletic too. So I think that could be a pretty interesting podcast if we get him on. Say the word, I, we'll find a way to get Pierre LeBrun on the season. I'm show. dreaming of getting him to Adam's basement so that we're all in the same room. Like I think, Ooh, I feel like I like that. And I'm not putting guardrails on when this has to be. I mean, the thing is, it's an evergreen pod. Like it. it we're talking, we're going to talk about things that happened like 18 years ago or 15 years ago. Um, but I think it'd be cool to be in the same room. Cause you know, if you're going to, ha- you, everyone needs to connect on a certain level if we're going to have that conversation. Yeah. So, so that's, that's how I envision it. Uh, and put it out there in the universe to manifest and we're going to pull that off at some point. Dude, I'll, I'll make my way down. I'll, I'll make it work. So like, we'll, we'll, we'll put it out there in the universe, whether it's late this year, early next year, whenever, uh, Pierre Lebrun, we would love to have you on the CJ show, which uh, we're gonna by have, the way, we're going to have more trouble getting Pierre to go 15 kilometers from his house to Adam's house and get you to go 400 kilometers or whatever from Montreal to Adam's house. Dude. Like, I mean, He's I'll do anything. Kids. He's a busy guy and three jobs and all that, all that comes with it. I'll do anything to get out the house at this point, so I don't mind. Uh, Thank you so much to everybody listening to uh, the Thursday edition of the CJ Show. We'll be back on Monday with a brand new one. Get your questions in for Ask CJ. Also, to everyone watching this, be sure to watch Game Over Montreal later tonight. Uh, Chicago and Montreal are playing. There is a very big announcement coming from Andrew Berkshire. You're not going to want to miss it. 
And uh, if you like the Game Over product, I think you'll like this announcement because it's supposed to be pretty significant. Significant enough that I'm announcing it on... Well, I'm not going to announce it. I'm just going to tease it on the CJ show. Uh, CJ, I don't know if you have anything else you want to add before we just wrap this up. I wasn't sure if you're going to add a note to that. No, I've got a meeting with Gino Retta in five minutes, so i got to get going. All righty then. Tell Gino I say hi. For CJ, I'm Julian, saying so long in peace. Peace, guys. The Chris Johnston Show. Inside the game, twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter, at ReporterChris. And follow Julian McKenzie, at JK and McKenzie. 